Welcome in, everybody, to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, any of the major places where you can find fine podcast content, you can find Kyle and myself. Feel free to connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod. Shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodrich. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who's never sent anything inappropriate on Snapchat, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? Oh, I'm positive that that is um, not true, but I will not be giving out that handle to anyone ever. I also haven't been on Snapchat in a couple years. I guess I am officially an old man, but nothing good happens on these darned social medias, kids. Get off there. Keep all things to yourself. Nothing good happens on social media. Like, nothing good happens after midnight. As somebody who's, like, absolutely obsessed and and, uh, addicted to Twitter, I can't say that completely. But uh, apparently a a Texas player tweeted some girl at A&M pictures, like, two pages of the Texas playbook. Whoop-de-doo, right? Like... Surprise, an offensive coach runs an offense. Um, it's, yeah, there, there's this whole, like, internet thing that lasted for, like, 15 minutes, but I really just want to make a Snapchat, Snapchat joke, Kyle. But really, what I want to talk about off the top is you and I were remiss. We did a couple of shows last week, and we missed an incredible and amazing anniversary that occurred last week. Last week was the one-year anniversary of the Texas Longhorn men's basketball team winning the national <laughs> invitational tournament championship. Kyle, how did we miss that? Uh, you know, there's a little bit of, of uh, global um, distraction diversion. I'm not going to say this was planned to try to distract from UT's greatness, but I'm not going to say that it wasn't. So, you know. I think it's fair. I think I think it's definitely fair. Probably some sort of Aggie plot, right? That's the kind of thing they would do. No, um, so we're still locked up at home. We're we're still practicing good social distancing, only making essential trips. I have not uh, left my house in probably ten days. I think uh, I went to the hardware store because I broke something because I needed to get out of the house uh, about ten days ago. Uh, I will leave tomorrow for the first time in ten days because I have a doctor's appointment. Just a routine checkup. Nothing is wrong with me. It would just happen to be my like hey every year now because that's the age i am i will go see (laughs) the doctor but that's not what we're here to talk about everybody's behind closed doors including texas head coach tom herman tom herman taking advantage of his downtime not just playing board games and eating dinner with his children that he only sees once a week during football season but he sat down with orange bloods anwar richardson a guy that you and i uh, like quite a bit kyle to do some q a both from anwar and from facebook fans of orange bloods and there was a lot like herman was kind of really candid in that and maybe it's because John Bianco is doing some good social distancing but he was really really candid in his responses and so um, there are a couple things in there that I really want to talk about but Kyle like what stuck out to you the most from what Tom Herman had to say can I do a quick aside here Gerald you just said it and it made me think of it I hope like many people are choosing to take the social distancing time to grow facial hair they don't otherwise have i hope that this is a recall to greatness and this has inspired utsid john bianco's mustache to come back because gosh that was that was a thing of glory um i feel like the texas program has never been the same that was our samson's hair when bianco (laughs) shaved the stash uh so john i know you listen to this come on come on Grow it, grow it back for us, for Longhorns everywhere. Um, no, that is, <laughs> besides a, be- a beautiful image, that is not what I took most from from this interview. Um, <laughs> sorry, I need to regain. How did you get comp- back from that, Kyle? Uh, I, I don't know. Um, like like a good mustache, you just uh, you uh, grab it with with both hands and, and pull yourself up. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I mean the, the 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 money. I think question. And good on Anwar for for getting it in there. Um, the the big thing that people want to talk about is, hey, you had a huge change on the staff, right? You had a major overhaul. That signals something, right? It's it's um, 
changing both of your coordinators on offensive de- defense. He asked him if that was a necessary move. Um, and, and Herman was pretty candid. Like you said, he gave kind of the answer of, he felt like a Jack of all trades, uh, in a master of none, you know, being a play caller didn't allow him to be the best head coach, um, that he could do. And, and, and focusing on the offense probably didn't let him oversee the, uh, the, the defense, but also, doing the head coaching things didn't let him be as good of a play caller as he was when he was an offensive coordinator, um, you know, or, or, uh, you know, where he kind of made his name. So to me, I think, um, kind of right there is, is the thing that piqued my interest the most and, and, uh, good on Herman for, you know, the buck stops here. He said on the defense. I mean, I just think it was a big, uh, thing that needed to be broached uh, a big topic just because it happens. And now it's been, put out there in the ether, you know, where he stands on it. And we can, you know, if there is a season, hopefully uh, let prove things on the field. But to me, that was, that was the, uh, that was the marquee and, and headline winning, winning piece. Yeah. That's the one that jumped out at me when I was, when I was listening to it and I, I listened to it and then I kind of read through a, uh, a transcript after the fact, but like, you and I, talk, I talked about it specifically. Like one of my biggest questions was about Tom Herman was like leadership maturity, right? That when when you see a leader that is unable to hand stuff off, that's a sign of an immature leader. And mm. the fact that Herman recognized that is a big sign of growth for me from Tom Herman, who we, we we've kind of lamented and, and lambasted a little bit on this podcast, saying that you know he feels like he has to be the smartest guy in the room, and for him to be able to humbly say like I was not a good play caller, I was not a good head coach, like that. That's, that is incredible candor that I honestly didn't ever expect to hear. We all knew it was the case, but but hearing him confirm that. I think the other thing that jumped out to me, uh, we had conjectured about what Chris Ash's defense was going to be. And kind of after he talked a little bit about uh, last year, you know, you could they couldn't really get um, pressure from a three-man front, which again was something that a lot of people talked about uh, without blitzing that – Chris Ash is going to be playing a four-two-five as his base, which is something that we talked about, we conjectured, we got a lot of um, people saying that that was going to be the case, but hearing it from the horse's mouth was was good. And he talked about some position moves, uh, you know, Osai, Vons, uh, Hobbs, and Dorba are going to kind of be. Uh, in the defensive end room, but they're going to be that hybrid jack position. They consider it a down lineman, even though uh, the hand isn't in the dirt, which is kind of interesting. Uh, Taquan Graham is actually going to shift down to a three technique. We saw him play a lot of nose last year, I think. Um, To be honest with you, the idea of Taquan Graham and Keandre Cobert on the field at the same time uh, gives gives me a little bit of a... um, of those butterflies that you get when you think about something you really like. So seeing those two in a four-man front with Coburn kind of playing that that shaded nose and then Graham playing a three technique, like that's a nasty front, man. That's that's going to bring some scary pressure uh, next year. And, and I mean, just the the sheer size and and um, girth and and kind of black holeness that he is, where it just sucks space and and gravitational things pull to him, I'm hoping will, uh, will really open up, uh, a, a potential all American season from Osai who, who, like you said, in that Jack position, you know, just could, I think that the four man front really complements the strengths of the guys that we have. It will open players up to be the best version of themselves. Um, again, it will not require us to end up blitzing four or five anyways. Um, and from awkward positions on the field from natural pass rushing positions for the most part. So, um, I'm excited about this. I, I, I am watching a couple of the battles. He talked about the nickelback who's going to play there. I think that's going to be really interesting. Chris Adamora, um, and, and Anthony cook, um, both battling it out there. We obviously have to think, um, when he comes back from injury, BJ Foster's got something to say as well. Um, so, I mean, there's, there's just defense, actually excites me and until we play the first game and they give up 530 yards um you know i'm ready to be here all for this and and be chris ash's biggest um optimist i'll say i'm not ready to say fan i'd love to be but you know i I want to be optimistic i want to see a young defense year older we've talked a lot about it but just do good And, and i liked a lot of things that herman said i don't know that there was huge revolutionary groundbreaking stuff but it confirmed uh, a lot that we were thinking and suspecting and, and I think hoping. Um, so, I mean, I, I think that was all, that was all fantastic. Um, I, I do think the, one of the other things that stood out talking about the new coordinators um, was on the other side of the ball, when he talked about the offense and how your came in and, you know, he mentioned that, that, uh, 
the you know some of the people who knew him as an assistant said he he reminded him of of a young uh you know young tom who was a coordinator um and i think that the when we talk about maturity the thing that stood out to me was um when he talked about uh coach Richards coming in and learning the existing language of the offense saying it's it's easier for a 45 year old professional to learn a new language than 50 18 to 22 year olds so i mean i think that's just like they're saying all the right things. At the very least, um, they are doing good PR, good media, saying all the right things. Yeah, absolutely. And I think Yursic is a guy who, um, and, and Herman talked about it, but but there's not really a Yursic offense. I mean, they're going to play pace. They're going to be some looks. But Yursic at Oklahoma State was wide open a couple of years. And then he was like, oh, I got these running backs. Let me run with them. And so that's why I think that this is going to be a good fit uh, because he seems like he's he does the thing that good coaches do, at least uh, he has previously. Again, I can't, you know, I can't predict the future, but he, he's previously been like, who, who are the best 11 guys? Who are the best 11 yeah. to 14 guys I have on offense? Okay, let me call plays that put them in position to be really good. And that's that's what good offensive coordinators do. We, we saw that. He did that against Texas a couple years ago, where it's like, hey, Texas is down a couple corners. Let me let these, uh, these wide receivers loose, right? So, like, that's what good coordinators do, and I'm really excited about about it, but he's got a lot of toys to play with. You know, Herman talked about, um, you know, not having Whittington and, and Smith on the field at the same time because then, like, who do you bench, right? Who do you bench? Roshan Johnson, Bijan Robinson, Brandon Eagles. Like, there are a bunch of guys that uh, you probably he, he actually went on for quite some time uh, about those guys, but those were some that, that jumped out. Um, so, like, but doing the thing that again, I I, I won't say it. I'll, I will say it as many times as I have to, but like doing the thing that good coaches do where it's like, okay, we're going to put the best 11 guys on offense and we're going to put the best 11, really the best 11 to put us in a position to win. Cause it may not even be about the best 11, but the best 11 schematically for a win in that spot. Yeah. I, 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 I could, you could see this offense being that where there are games where, you know, they run the ball for 200 yards and there are games where they throw the ball for 450 yards. And if you do that, it gives you a ton, a ton of chance for success, um, especially with, you know, an experienced senior quarterback in Sam Allinger who will do what it takes to, you know, be the difference between a loss and a win and, and try to push it over the line, whatever is needed. But they, I just go back for a second there because the thing probably in this whole interview that made my eyebrows stand up and give me warm tinglys all over my body was when he talked about who do you bench and the name Bijan Robinson came up again, a true freshman, um, a, a, a kid who we have unbelievable outsized expectations. We're so excited for. Um, and again, just confirming that the coaches, uh, they're just like us. Um, Tom Herman also seems excited for Bijan Robinson and, and fans hopefully will not have to wait. Um, again, knocking on wood, Lord will in the Creek don't rise. We play a college football season this year, but uh, if, if that happens, that, that very, very uh, likely means you see Bijan Robinson early. If you're not excited for Bijan, you're not doing it right. So there's a lot from Herman. He's going to do another one of these Q and a, so we'll have hopefully some new information from that again next week. But that's still good stuff to talk about because as somebody who makes a podcast every week, two podcasts every week, it's always <laughs> good to have stuff to talk about. So in that same vein, Kyle, last week we did a football Mount Rushmore and based on one strategic bad pick on my part, you ran away with the voting something basically <laughs> on an eight to two margin is what it, what it worked out to be. Um which impressive good work. If I had taken DKR over Mac, I think that would have been a little less lopsided, but he, it's either here nor there. Uh, but really, as we, as we looked at that, and as you and I talked about it throughout the week, one of the things that we realized is that it's hard to really, like, if there's, there can't be two Mount Rushmores, right? There can't mm-hmm. be two lists of players that represent a sport. And so we're going to do it a little differently moving forward throughout our Mount Rushmores. And so for basketball, what we're going to do is we're, well, we're going to start with men's, we're going to do men's basketball next, but we're going to nominate players and discuss whether or not we feel like they have a place or they should be on Mount Rushmore. And we're going to, by the end of the conversation, settle at four. So that's what we're going to do. So Kyle, I'll, I'll, I'll defer it to you. What do you think qualifies somebody to be on the basketball Mount Rushmore? Um, let me just first say, you know, I, I, I feel terrible that I, I won and, and beat you so badly that we had to change this format up entirely, but I think taking my ball and going home. (laughs) No, I, 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 
I, okay, I'll just say that I didn't realize you had as many burner counts as you did to keep it as close as it was. But didn't, no, we'll we'll move into basketball here. Um, I I think that to to tie. To tie that together, uh, at government cheese, uh, the uh, the qualifications are probably not entirely dissimilar. But I mean, I think we talked about the football program and we said, look, it's a blue blood program. Everyone knows that it is. It's an all time um, rank and, and wins. It's it's had sustained greatness almost its entire um, history. Um, you know. It, who makes the legacy for this program? They've won multiple national championships, had multiple Heisman winners. So for basketball. You also have multiple, you know, um, players of the year winners. I think that that certainly factors into it, similar to um, to a Heisman uh, Award winner. Um, I, I think also you have you don't have national championships, but you have NIT championships. Um, you have uh, you know conference championships. You have players who are on the All American level, and then I think you have to factor in that legacy part of it. And it's a different legacy, I think outside of football. Um, but it is still a legacy. There are guys who, you know, they, their decade, you know, they were the player or they came and then all of a sudden the faucet was turned on and, and it changed. Um, so not to lead, um, into the next too much, um, you know, I won't tip my hand there completely, but I, I do think there are certain players that just, you know, thinking about if they hadn't come to the university of Texas, probably the trickle down of other faces on the mountain may not have been there. Absolutely. And I think that's, that's where we start the conversation, Kyle, and that kind of uh, cues up your, what would I would assume be your first nomination. So I'll give you the first nomination. Who do you want to put up first as your, as your face on the mountain? Um, you know, I, 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 I hate to, to make this the first face, but I, I, I think for every neutral casual person when you associate texas basketball there is a singular name that comes up for every you know longhorn fan you loved it um it's a tough thing to chisel onto a mountain due to the the, you know the nature of his um chin hair um just being (laughs) i love i love the man but come on you gotta you gotta get that fixed uh but no uh it's kevin durant for me um you know carmelo anthony certainly gets a a shout because he won a national championship but you could very much argue that kevin durant was the greatest one and done in the history of college basketball i guess anthony davis might um also maybe factor into that but it's a very short list um you think about how big that legacy could be had he stayed for more years the record book would be rewritten he was he was that good um i, I don't think you have to do a, a ton to defend him um as number one i don't think you have to do anything but I, you know i just think you know again we're talking about the heisman equivalent right he won both naismith and wooden the two national player uh of the year awards averaging you know 26 points and 11 rebounds um a night and i think he also averaged like a couple steals or blocks a game too just you know he he really literally did everything um two blocks a game so i mean it's it's uh my favorite fact about kevin durant and and i'm not gonna sit here and just you know only give durant facts but uh gerald do you know when ut retired kevin durant's jersey i think it was like the next year right like after the year after he like graduated or left number 35 was retired before the nba draft that he was in I mean, and that that's incredible. That makes sense. <laughs> that makes sense. Like, in 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 it's it's incredible, but it makes complete sense because at the time he was the only player to ever win all ten major or all ten national player of the year awards. Like, literally yeah. swept them all. First player yeah. to ever do it, right? And so, yeah. like, Kevin Durant has to be on uh, on the on the mountain. Like, he has to be. And I, there's nothing to to defend. There. There's nothing to argue there. But I think a guy that you probably don't see the likes of Kevin Durant. At Texas, probably my, my second nomination is the guy who was the guy before Kevin Durant, and that's TJ Ford. I think TJ Ford is another guy that, that has to be on that mountain. Like without TJ Ford, I don't think Kevin Durant ends up at Texas. And kind of you, you mentioned in kind of the, the queue up for this that the guys that kind of opened the door for what Texas could be. I mean, the Naismith Player of the Year, the the Wooden Player of the Year, Sporting News, first team All American, uh, like first team All Big Twelve, Big Twelve Freshman of the Year. Like the guy was, without a doubt, if Kevin Durant didn't exist in Texas basketball, you could probably argue TJ Ford as the greatest player in modern Texas basketball. Like without a doubt, like there's no argument against that. Yeah, even though I had the first, I guess we're not doing 
necessarily pick there, but the first, the honor of nominating the first person, I struggled with saying which one was I going first. Yeah. Um, just because, I mean, I think people forget how good TJ Ford was. Incredible. Um, because you know, and, and if you haven't really followed the story or read some, he had a Players Tribune article kind of going into it. Some of his injury history and just how wild it was um, that, that he actually was, you know, for uh, short-term paralysis due to basketball injuries, like on late on the court multiple times, couldn't move his body for twenty to thirty minutes um, on multiple occasions. So I mean, just like some really incredibly serious stuff that robbed him of an of an even better NBA career. He had a good career, but robbed him of an even better career. And also the fact that he came out in literally the greatest draft class, you know, probably in NBA history. He was in the LeBron James, Carmelo Anthony, Chris Bosh, Dwayne Wade class people were shocked he went eighth they thought he might be uh number two after lebron james obviously everyone knew lebron was one but even ahead of carmelo anthony so i mean it was it was shocking at the time if you think back to it that he was the number eight pick and remember like this is a ut program when he came that uh that was not just pumping out first round talent at that point yeah, and, and I think the the legacy, the, the last thing I have to say about this, and this kind of speaks for itself, first basketball player to ever have his number retired. Like, mm. uh, at the Is that U, right? Like, yeah, first basketball player to ever have his number retired across the university. So at the time, I think there were four. I think it was like Earl, Ricky, Roger, and then him, right? All the guys that won the National wow. Player of the Year for their sport. Um, so, like, that's a big deal. Like, nobody at the university – at least for on the basketball court is going to wear that number again. And that like, that speaks to it. And, and granted it wasn't as quick as Kevin Durant, but it happened and he was the first one to do it. So I think there's a lot to be said for that. Cool. I love that step. All right. So who's, well, your next, gonna, who's your next pick? I'm going to, I'm going to go here with, I don't know if this is every single um, person's number three or the, again, we're not necessarily doing, order but yeah um, we're just throwing names out there and, and talking about who it should be the, in them all. the third name that everyone expected to hear may not have been slater martin so uh a guy who was on my I, list yeah i mean if you want to talk about a guy who like changed the fortunes of a school in a particular sport. I think Slater Martin um, has as much of an argument that TJ Ford does for, for the basketball program, even probably existing by the time it got to TJ Ford. Um, I mean, he, uh, he was just an incredible, incredible player. He, uh, Took UT to their, their first ever Final Four. That's, you know, TJ Ford is known for his tournament run, but took them to their first ever Final Four, I think, in 1944. When he retired, he had the school record in points. Um, my Well, uh, my favorite part about that is, oh, you think he's a score? No, 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 no. Texas didn't keep an assist statistic until 72, I think. Um, and, and we're talking about a player in the 40s, but there is no doubt that even in his war-interrupted career, he had a uh, world war uh, in the middle of his career, um, that he would have by far the the assist record from all accounts, game film, things you can say, even though they didn't keep the statistic. He was just a, a 15 to 20 assist a game kind of guy. That The offense was just Slater Martin dribbled around. Multiple defenders tried to make him stop dribbling like he was a Harlem Globetrotter, and then he threw it to someone who was wide open, and they scored. Um, you know, And you saw that at the next level. Uh, in an 11-year NBA career, he had uh, five titles in it. Seven-time All-Star, you know, an actual NBA Hall of Famer. I mean, I think uh, you, you Kevin Durant is doing incredible things, but until he retires, Slater Martin has um, the, the best completed, probably, um, NBA career uh, on the books. Yeah, and, and I mean... He was on that big run of Lakers championships in the 50s, right? Like the 50, the 50, 52, 53, 54, I believe, were, were his uh, part of his doing. And that's, that's an incredible thing. That, I honestly thought Slater Martin was going to be my like, out-of-left-field one. But that's ah. a guy that you don't, you don't hear a lot of the youngins talk about. But like, the guy was incredible. And, and his number was eventually retired by the university as well. But like, the pride of Elmina, Texas has to be mentioned <laughs> in this conversation. Like, there's no two ways around it where you know, Texas basketball in the 40s was Slater Martin. And that's that's I, I, I you're not gonna get any argument here. I I would go ahead and say let's start let's start blueprinting him in. So a guy that I wanna I wanna nominate and get your thoughts on is a guy that we don't necessarily talk about uh, as much as we should in the legacy of Texas basketball, but well, that's Travis Mays. 
Oh, nice. Okay, yeah. So Travis May's first well one was a was first round pick by the Sacramento Kings. I think the fourteenth overall. But when he was at Texas, he was really good. Like two time conference player of the year, three time first team all conference player. Like Travis May had a heck of a career. He was the first player to win Southwest Conference Player of the Year back to back in basketball. Um, he holds a record actually. I think that won't be broken. Um, he holds a, well the school record for points, twenty two hundred points, and then second in Southwest Conference all time. Excuse me, uh, in scoring. So like that's like the the guy was a basket machine at Texas, and and he, his his legacy kind of gets overshadowed in that kind of eighties and nineties era of Texas basketball because it, it honestly you know it wasn't a whole lot to talk about Texas, not a basketball school, and so people don't talk about Travis Mays, but he was a guy that. Um, Definitely needs, I think, to be in the conversation. No, I love that you uh, you introduced him. He was definitely going to be in my honorable um, mentions, guys. I threw in just so that we made sure we said his name. Um, we can talk about you know where we we uh, stack him in um, in the overall. Like you said, a first round pick that counts um, for something. I mean, if you we may talk about. I don't know if we'll get to that, any of the other guys on here, um, but the BMW ultimate scoring machine of the uh, of the beginning of the 90s um, with Lance Blanks, uh, a name that probably rings out to folks as he's often the commentator on the Longhorn Network. Um, but uh, he was he was, you know, I think arguably certainly the best uh, of that uh, bunch. Um, the the. There are many interesting things about him. You hit on, on a lot of them. My favorite part uh, about it, um, he got to Atlanta um, from Sacramento. And do you know who the other part of, uh, or who is the other part of the deal that trade is known as? That's the uh, that's the Spud Webb trade. He was a part oh. of the, the Maze Webb, Spud Webb, a name you don't hear enough, but one of my favorite players as a kid. But uh, similar to, to Spud, um, Maze was 6'2", shooting guard. Um, and even in, in that era, NBA was a little undersized, would have had a better NBA career. But it, 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 again, opened up a line of a similar prototype of UT player. We may talk about some of the other ones, but who are just scintillating scorers, even though they are they are certainly undersized. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the he's a kid from Florida that came to Texas and, and made a name for himself. And I think that kind of speaks volumes in and of itself. But I, I just like... It's a name that honestly, before I started, like I'd heard the name Travis Mays before I started researching for this, but I didn't really know like what Travis Mays cont- contributed to the university. And that, that guy did a lot. Like he was, again, mo- like first back-to-back player in Southwest Conference history, back-to-back player of the year. Like that's a big, big deal. And he rocks a bow tie on the baseline while he coaches <laughs> SMU. So like how much more do you need from a man? Yeah, I mean, it, it was his uh, points per game record that Kevin Durant broke in his season. So, I mean, that's probably where a lot of, there's a younger generation who maybe that's the first time they heard his name. But if you're a younger uh, guy listening to this podcast, it may be hard to find Slater Martin highlights, but go go check out uh, Travis May's a little more recent vintage um, and uh, and, and check check out some of the, the older dudes. All right, so um, let's keep it rolling, Gerald. There's a guy who I am shocked uh, took this long to mention, but I mean, it's it's you have to, right? It'd be crazy to talk about Texas Longhorn basketball, not talk about a dude who, um, for all the things he's done right in his his college and early pro career, probably made the de- best decision of his life coming to play for the San Antonio Spurs, and that's obviously one Lamarcus Nerey Aldridge, um, a a player who, um, whenever we were in college and we would make those what if players stuck around teams. You think about if, if he, you know, really at a transitional period in, in um, college basketball about, you know, how uh, players uh, stuck around. Um, he actually was uh, going to go directly in the pro ranks um, and was uh, convinced by none other than Shaquille O'Neal um, to do a, uh, a college uh, stint. He did two years, but Shaq, uh, talked to him and go into UT. So indirectly, thank you, Shaq. Um, but was just a, a monster uh, in college. Um, you know, uh, truly, kind of set. I don't know, set the mark because we had some some good big men, but carried on the tradition and maybe elevated it to the next level of just the incredibly adept big men. The thing that he we saw in college from him was a touch and finesse that I don't know up to that point you saw 
big men at Texas or, or really at all uh, very often do. He wasn't just a power dude. He just had a post game at 18 um, that, that, you know, made Hakeem and Tim Duncan jealous. So, I mean, he uh, he has been smooth since the day he walked on campus. Uh, he probably doesn't get as much love as, as he even deserves. I mean, evidenced by the fact that it took this long, but went on to be just as good uh, in the NBA, if not even better. Yeah, I mean, LaMarcus is a guy I, I, I remember vividly sitting in the offices of Texas Student Television Sports, like imagining what if LaMarcus stays for another year, right? Mm-hmm. Like what if LaMarcus stays for the 07 season and he and DJ and Kevin Durant all play together? Like mm-hmm. what does that team look like? Like that team is absolutely nuts. And so uh, LaMarcus is a guy that um, I want, I really wanted to talk about, but like – Part of this for me is like giving some of the old, the older players uh, shine, and so like I don't want to go too too recent heavy, but Lamarcus is a guy who I think you said it really well. He pl- he was he was great at Texas, and he's had an even better NBA career, and we see that uh, a lot recently with the, with the late Rick Barnes and Chaka Smart era, where guys are good at Texas, really good at Texas, and then they kind of blow up at the next level. So another guy that uh, I'm going to go old school again is Ron Baxter. You may not have heard of Ron Baxter, yeah. but he played at Texas from uh, 77 to 80, um, led Texas to the 70, or helped lead Texas to the NIT in 1978. Um, he, when he left, he held the school record for rebounds and points with 1,897. He was the Conference Player of the Year in 1980, first team all-conference three times, was the team MVP in 77 and 80, and then again, he averaged a double digit scoring mark in each of his four years at the university of texas so like when when he left he led the school in scoring all time he now sits fourth which is just really really incredible and he has 40 career double doubles at the university of texas like the guy had a career and he doesn't again he's another guy that doesn't get as much shine as he should yeah, no, no, I, I completely agree. I actually had him at the bottom of my list of like, oh, I should give this guy some shine. He's in a name that I don't think I was particularly familiar with um, other than just like passing stats and when I was doing some Abe Lemon research back in the day. But, uh, you know, th- there was two players on that team and they, they won the 78-79 Southwest Championship. Um, he, he uh, um, like you said, all of his stats, but his teammate in that that won the NIT championship in '78. Uh, I actually was going to put a little, a little even higher than him, but should be mentioned right here. And again, we're not, we're not ranking, but should be mentioned here is Jim Cravox, who who was an Auburn transfer, and UT had a, a string of success with some really good transfer players who came and played a couple years just at the highest level. Um, but uh, again, back to back Southwest championships. Uh, Jim was a uh, was an All American in that '78 team that won the NIT championship. Didn't quite have the the stats uh that Baxter did but uh was the point guard averaged 20 points per game uh during his career and also just ran uh, a really electric um run and shoot offense under coach Lemons but uh you know I I I love that I just want to say my favorite uh my favorite part about Ron Baxter uh he like you mentioned uh graduated with the rebound record do you know how tall he was uh I did not see that but I, I'm guessing based on the way he said it, not very. He may have been as wide as he was tall. He was six foot four and graduated as our all-time leading rebounder. Just a just an incredible, um, mass of a man. It makes Charles Barkley look like a giant for being a an undersized uh, rebounder. We might talk about another uh, guy who currently plays on the Rockets who was pretty good at that, but is also about four inches taller uh, than Baxter. It's nuts to think about six four, which is huge for regular humans and very small um, for the NBA or just for the, for the basketball monster. So. So uh, a, a nice a nice pair right there. Yeah. So we do have to kind of bring this to a little bit of a close, Kyle. So I think the, fir- the first three even I think are probably pretty air- bad pun set in stone, right? Like I think KD is one that we obviously unanimously put on there. I think TJ Ford, I don't think you have an argument with him being on there. Uh, we both had Slater Martin, I think, in our top four, if I, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. So I think those three are pretty solid. So who's this fourth spot? Who, who are you standing on the table for? So let me let me say this. I'm going to run through a, a list of people real quick that we haven't mentioned, and I think one of them could actually make an argument to get in here. I'm okay. going to go in reverse order. Johnny Moore, because you know his, his number is retired by the Spurs. Great. Um, I think uh, I think 
uh, PJ Tucker, who I mentioned, um, just an incredible player. I don't know that he makes the rest more, but he's close. Uh, I talked about Lance Blanks a little bit. I think Miles Turner's gone on to have a good NBA career, and it's only getting better. Um, again, a one-year player who didn't have the KD one year. I'm not going to put him on there. One guy who I'm going to say right now, Gerald, and, and feel free to uh, to drop your, your mouth a gas, but does Rick Barnes deserve to be in this conversation? It's tough. It's really, really tough. Um, simply because, like Rick, like Rick Barnes, kind of set the standard of what Texas men's basketball could be. Did did he do less with more? Probably. Um, but I mean, you can't argue with literally. I think every season at Texas, he had a had a uh, was in the NCAA tournament. I think he won three conference championships, or at least shared. Conference championships took a, that final four team again, 0 2 and 0 3. But I think towards the end, now that he had that CBI run in 20, like the early t- early 10s, 12, like I don't know, somewhere in there, he had a CBI. Yeah. But outside of that, so all but one of his seasons, excuse me, uh, were NCAA tournament like seasons. It's like it's hard to argue against him. But then, like, do we, we could argue Tom Penders, right? Because Tom Penders kind of did the same, did a similar thing where he wasn't there for as long, but for, you know, like a, what, 11 years, he had nine of. 11 seasons he made the tournaments like do we do we want to do we want to have the coach argument i mean we, we did it kind of instinctively without talking about it for the football team i just wanted to bring it up i i i think pender's a great coach i think lemon's one of the best personalities in the history of sports um but i think rick barnes has kind of everything if you're gonna have a coach that that it's gonna be it's gonna be him right i mean uh he was a four-time uh, Big 12 coach of the year. He he won uh, the Big 12 uh, three times. Um, you know, had the Elite Eight run. Um, you know, he, he had their winningest season, I think, of all time. 31 wins, I believe. Um, you know, just pretty much any way that you slice it, he's their all-time winningest coach. Any way that you slice it, he holds all the coaching records. So, I mean, it's kind of crazy to think that you could at least make the conversation for a guy to be on the, the basketball Rushmore who was kind of ceremoniously or unceremoniously rather let go from his position um, at, at the top of, of that mountain. So I, I, it, I almost think that caveat makes it tough to put, to put him on here. Well, it's, it's like the Mac Brown thing from last week where like, I mean, Mac Brown got it to a standard that I don't think is sustainable. And Rick Barnes did the same thing. Like we would like Texas fans would be losing their minds for like Rick Barnes yeah. middle career, right? From like 2002 to 2008, 2009, like people would be scratching their eyes out to have a final four, a sweet yep. 16 and two elite eights. Like people would be yep. killing for that. And like, did he underperform with Kevin Durant? Yeah, probably. Right. Were, were those last three years a little rough? Yeah, probably. But like, it's, it's tough to sustain that level of excellence for what, like 17 years? Like, it's real tough. And, and they moved on, and, and, and it's kind of been looking up at what Rick Barnes did since. And so it's, I mean, when you talk about setting the standard, Rick Barnes is it. But, Kyle, we're gonna, we are got to put our feet to the fire here because we're getting a little long-winded. You and I gasp long-winded. Who's the fourth? Who's there, There's one that I do want to introduce that I think we, we can throw into a different uh, Mount Rushmore, but Clyde Littlefield was also an incredible basketball player at the University of Texas uh, way I almost- back when. I almost wondered if we could talk about this af- uh, off the air a little bit more, but if we should have a just university like specific Mount Rushmore, because Littlefield could be on there for like a dozen different things. I think he was also good on the baseball team. And it just like, well, and he coached track for like what, 40 years? Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, they're due to just have that legacy. But we'll, we'll, we'll discuss. We'll come back on that one. But there is actually one more name, Jordan, and this isn't at all sarcastic. There's a guy who um, we I actually missed him on my notes, and I feel terrible about this. There's a name who I think legitimately has to be in this conversation, and I'm not – there's no joke here. Um, Terrence Wrencher, a guy who didn't have the NBA career, so literally gets forgotten, literally gets forgotten um, when he retired – or when he graduated, I should say, was first on the all-time scoring list at Texas, was truly a two-way guard. Um, you know, he, uh, he led, uh, he might still have the all time, uh, steals lead, um, in, in, uh, when he left school, he was sixth in assists, um, you know, 2,300 points, like just 
a guy who was really, really good at UT. They weren't like the the best uh, team in the ninety, you know, early nineties, ninety one to ninety five. But I think if you just look at the numbers, you have to literally make an argument about putting him on there. And I'm sorry, I know we were trying to winnow down, and I just uh, I just made more confusion. But uh, I'm 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 entering him as a something we should think about. Yeah, and I mean, shocking that you and I have way too many ideas to narrow it down. Uh, Wrencher's a guy that I think you're absolutely right. I think when he graduated, he was both the all-time conference and school leading scorer, I think, were the records that he held when he left. So. And now he's, uh, I think he's coaching at like Crichton somewhere. He was at Tulsa for a period. Yeah, I don't know where. Yeah, but uh, he, he bounced, he's bounced around a lot. He's done a lot of, uh, a lot yeah. of traveling in his days. but. I mean, it's so tough. There's a lot of these guys that's like, who who do we who do we narrow it down to? Um, so who are you standing on the table for, Kyle? Who's who's your fourth guy? You see me here just trying not to commit to this. I'm not trying to bring up more Chris Mim, 2000 All-American, LaSalle Thompson, 82 All-American, all-time double-doubles leader. I'm not trying to make this more confusing and stalling from making my picture. Oh, that's not me. I wouldn't do that. I'm going LaMarcus Aldridge because uh, I, 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 for me, my vote, I love, I mean, again, he was a big 12 defensive player of the year when he was here. He had the incredible NBA career. He was just the Texas kid, the cool, um, that probably directly TJ Ford is it, but directly led to the recruitment of Kevin Durant. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I, I go LaMarcus Aldridge. I mean, you do have some silver and black colored glasses on from that too. Uh, it's it's so like, I don't know, man. Uh, it's hard for me to not say a guy like Ron Baxter, a guy like Travis Mays, who was just like all conference multiple times. Like, I, I don't know. Maybe we put it up for a vote on Twitter. Like who should our, who should our, uh, our fourth be? I think that's, that that may be That's what fair. we do our Twitter poll this year, we, we, or this week, where we put up a couple of these guys and see uh, what happens. We'll include their stats in the tweets. You guys decide who's going to be our fourth. I I'm I'm standing on the table for either Mays or Baxter. I think are probably going to be the two that I will stand on the table for. Uh, but I'm I'm flexible, and I'll stand on the table for uh, for Barnes. Or or Lamarcus Aldridge, and we could throw Terrence Wrencher in there as well. We'll put all, all five of them as the possible fourth. Okay, so we'll have it out on Twitter this week, and we'll have the results uh, next week on our Tuesday show where we are indecisive as well. <laughs> so quickly, we got to run through these down the 40. We're going to give some shine to some stuff that we didn't get to talk about because we spent like 40 minutes talking about basketball Mount Rushmore. Uh, Miranda Elish, a favorite of the show, was named the Softball America Player of the Year. In her shortened season, she managed a perfect game, 11 wins in I think it was like 11 wins in, in basically like 11 games, right? That's basically all they played. So big, big deal. Big deal for her. Absolutely. I mean, and, and, and the thing with, with her, right, throwing the perfect game is amazing. Um, big wins against uh, the number one and number two team in the country. Um, but, I mean, also she was hitting 370 with four home runs and 23 RBIs. I mean, just she was doing it on – she literally was an All-American um, candidate on, on both sides um, of the of the plate uh, this year, so I mean, I, I think it's well deserved, and I think when we eventually have our softball Mount Rushmore, you gotta you have to put her uh, her name in the in the mix. Yeah, I mean, there there are probably two pitchers that you could argue for greatest of all time at Texas softball, and and she's one of them. I think her and the cat are probably the two that we would uh, that we would have to argue for. So quickly, we got some spring roster updates. Early enrollees got their numbers. Hudson Card, number one. Xavier Alford eschewing the number zero. Going number 23. Jaron Thompson, 28. Vernon Broughton wearing 48 and wearing an extra 10 pounds from where he uh, <laughs> ended up signing with. Uh, Logan Parr rocking an extra 16 pounds in the number 71. Jake Majors up from 284 to 313. <laughs> coming in number, I want to see the size of the numbers I got to sew on the front of that guy's jersey. Uh, Troy <laughs> Omieri uh, up 9 pounds, up to a big 211. He's going to be a possession receiver. And the man we're going to call SGW, Sawyer Gorham Relch, uh, up to – Basically 300 pounds. It uh, looks like they signed a lot of defensive tackles in this group. 
Uh, or guys who end up playing that way for sure. Uh, I think you, you left the numbers off. SC Dub is 91, and Omier doing the rare uh, thing of a receiver wearing a number in the 80s, uh, going with 82. Um, he keeps getting bigger. He might end up a tight end. But yeah, it, it'll be curious, right? There's there's guys who who you know are projected at one position in their high school tape, and, and college coaches and college strength. Uh, and conditioning coaches also know uh, a thing or two more than we do about where these guys might end up. But uh, I like getting beefy. I like getting some antsy in these in these boys, even if it is virtually. Some other some other uh, updates on the roster. Overshone officially listed on a linebacker up to two fifteen. I think that's like five pounds. Reese Laytow officially listed as a DN. This one it went the other way. Jacoby Jones dropped ten pounds, playing probably outside at, at either Jack or uh, playing a, a hand-in-the-dirt defensive end. Myron Warren put on a clean 20 pounds up to 290. T-Sweat at <laughs> 335 playing a two-technique or three-technique. Look out, guards. Um, Byron Vaughn's dropped 20 pounds, uh, moving, again, getting his hand out of the dirt, moving up to the Jack position. Uh, Chris Mora, I think, is the winner of the offseason, putting on 27 pounds up to 212. He's a little undersized. Um, now he's maybe a little oversized. We'll talk about that later, but a big cornerback there. Yeah, that's uh, that's a dude who's ready to play in, in the, the slot and be an, be an extra hitter kind of uh, hybrid linebacker position there if he keeps doing some of that, though he was wonderful in coverage last year. I just wanted to point out Keandre Coburn snacks himself at a clean 350. I, I've said it before and I'll say it again. Keep just let that man eat space. Let him eat and let him eat space. Let him continue to eat. But that brings us to the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum. Brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? Gerald, because I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a curveball here. Because I don't trust myself to remember this, and I didn't get it in our basketball section, it was long anyways, But uh, and I don't want to save for the burn orange lenses because I'll forget by our Thursday show. Gerald, I have a quick quiz for you. We were talking about basketball players. Do you know how many Texas Longhorns have been picked in the NBA draft? Not played in the NBA, but drafted in the NBA draft. 20. It is slightly more than 20. Um <laughs> I had no clue. I just threw out a number. Oh, it's all good. There have been 34 Texas Longhorns picked in the NBA draft. Now, again, the NBA draft is not ancient. It wasn't around in the the earliest parts of the program. But I was shocked at how low um, that number actually was. Uh, Not going to get into the history of the basketball program or anything like that. Um, But, you know, I think it is an interesting statistic when we talk about, you know, why a lot of we went old, but why a lot of these guys are recent. Um, It's because, you know, they were good enough to be NBA caliber players. But I just found that to be very interesting. I just wanted to throw it out there. That is not my official bang the drum. My bang the drum is, like I said, curveball related or at least baseball related. So there was a, uh, you know, a, a lovely Twitter campaign. Big underscore is the reason I became a Texas Longhorn fan was tweeted out by the official Texas Longhorns uh, Twitter account. Various people were retweeting it. It was a nice feel good uh, social distance or excuse me, physical distancing um, game to, to play and observe and click through the mentions, etc. But the best, the best of the bunch, like I said, had a baseball theme to it. A, a, f- a favorite of the show, go ahead and say a uh, soon-to-be fan favorite. He was well on his way this year had the season not been canceled. But uh, a dude who we are ready to rock the burnt orange hard. And a guy who has been rocking that burnt orange for some time, Trey Faltini, tweeted out, Augie Garrido is the reason I became a Longhorn fan with a picture of him and Augie. Um, I don't know exactly how old he is, but he's definitely, definitely young uh, in this picture. And, uh, you know, it just goes to show um, Faltini is a guy who's loved the Longhorns uh, for a long time. And it goes to show that the impact uh, that Augie Garrido had on, on baseball and college baseball and the, you know, baseball in the state of Texas or the South um, is long lasting and and far reaching. He's still um, got incredible all American level recruits uh, committing because of him. No shade to coach Pierce. He closed the deal. Um, But, you know, it just goes to show that Augie Garrido is truly one of a kind. Um, He, they should show clips and quotes and things for Augie for, for the end of time. Recruits in 2075 need to remember uh, who he was. Just an incredible one-of-a-kind dude. And uh, makes me like Faltini 
even more. Yeah, it was it was so endearing to see that. Like, he's a guy that didn't need to do any extra endearing with anybody, and he did it anyway. And I, it wasn't in like a self-aggrandizing thing. It was just like this is significant to me, and that, I thought that was cool. And and the this era of of kind of physical distancing and physical separation has really given a lot of people room to be insightful on on social media and so you saw you see tom herman doing a lot more on social media which he's like actually like engaging with recruits and stuff like that which is interesting uh, but like it's just cool to see these people kind of pulling back the curtain and and showing you what's going on in their lives and and so i'm banging the drum this week on a thing that i bang the drum on a lot but it's something that is is woven into the fiber of kind of who we are and, and who the university of texas is and that's the texas a&m rivalry and so on sunday um the longhorn network was running their sunday best and so when i sat down it was actually uh, colt mccoy's final two games against a&m uh, most people forget colt actually had some struggles against A&M. I was actually at um, the game that Aggies celebrate a cheap shot, which kind of gives you everything that's insightful into the mindset of an Aggie. Um, I actually almost pushed a guy down the stairs at that game because he was celebrating, but that's neither here nor there. My roommate and I got up pretty early to pregame for an 11 a.m. kickoff. That's all I'll say about that. Uh, so, um, but like the the his final two games against A&M, were absolutely incredible. Like the guy put together like master classes in quarterbacking, especially that 08 game uh, where Texas should have. I I have a lot of issues with how Mac handled that game because Mac, being the classy guy he did, didn't want to run up the score against the in-state rival. But when you're in a play, when you're in the BCS era and you can hang 70 on somebody, go ahead and hang 70 on somebody because OU did that against Tech, or I guess happened to Tech, uh, and OU put the boots to OSU, which kind of kept Texas out of the national championship that year. And so, But Colt was like just on another level those last two years, and it's it's so crazy to think about like Colt McCoy. Like Sam Ellinger is going to be a four-year starter for Texas, and even if he has the best season in school history, he can't touch the records that Colt McCoy set, uh, predominantly on the the kind of the virtue of those last two seasons. You know, I, I, I any chance to remember Colt McCoy as our quarterback is a good time. Um, I, I any chance to to watch that rivalry, um, which you know. If ever there were a loss or a bad even struggle in that game, it is certainly the outlier for a uh, an historical. Um, I understand why they mercy ruled it, um, and and they they ended that series as to not inflict so much pain. Um, it was just it was brutal to watch. You almost felt bad uh, just beating them every single year. But I mean, hey. Because the rivalry uh, died on the field, it gets to live on Twitter. So, you know, uh, may rivalries never die, I guess. What is dead may never die. Hashtag the rivalry. So that's all we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at Kyle Carbon. You can also follow the Texas Pregamer at Texas Pregamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at GH Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. You can catch me on my other podcast, Two Woke Nerds, where we talk comic book movies and nerdy stuff. But again, nerdy is kind of a weird construct that the society has outgrown, but we'll talk about that on the other podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook them. Hook them. I won the Mount Rushmore again. <laughs>